Thanks for tuning in to Latino in Chicago. This is your host, Eric Lugo. In this episode, I connect with Andrea Sainz, first deputy commissioner for the Chicago Public Library. In this role, Andrea supports strategy, organizational development, and leads program design and evaluation for the 80 library system. Before joining the library, Andrea held roles as chief of staff to Chicago Public Schools CEO, policy advisor to the Assistant Secretary of Vocational and Adult Education at the U.S. Department of Education, as well as Executive Director of the Hispanic Alliance for Career Enhancement, otherwise known as ASE. In 2016, Andrea became board chair for Instituto del Progreso Latino. In this episode, we learn about the core of the library's mission to provide free access to knowledge without barriers, how the library is focusing on strengthening family engagement and services, her own circuitous journey to the library system, and how the library is adapting to better serve Latino families. Without further ado, here's Andrea. Andrea, thanks for joining us at Latino in Chicago. Thanks so much for having me. This is really fun. For sure. So folks, I'm sure know what libraries are, but tell us a little bit about the Chicago Public Library System. Thanks for that, because some people, I think, think they know what libraries are. They think about what it was like when they were a kid, maybe, and they'd go to some quiet place and somebody would tell them to be quieter, mm -hmm. and uh, there'd be lots of books, right? And so that's what people think of typically when they think of a library. The way we've been thinking about libraries in Chicago, especially for the last three or four years, is we go back to the core of the mission of the library. Mm -hmm. A public library is a place that provides access to knowledge for everyone. Mm -hmm. Free access with no barriers. And in 2016, that looks really different than it did in 1916, yeah. right? And for many years, libraries didn't really act like it was different. Um, and so knowledge used to be the stuff that we put into the pages of books. It continues to live there, but it also lives increasingly online. Um, but also for us in Chicago, because libraries are these community anchors, these these safe spaces that bring really every kind of Chicagoan together, if we're intentional about it, knowledge lives in all of us. Mm -hmm. And the exchange of ideas in real time for us feels like another way that we can make knowledge accessible. Mm. So we've been really focused on looking at ways that Yes, we want to make sure that people have access to the materials that we've purchased on behalf of the citizens of Chicago. We want to make sure that we um, supplement those materials with digital resources, things that may be unexpected to people like movies. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a service where you can stream movies, where you can download magazines, where you can wow. download music with your Chicago Public Library card online. Wow. All of those things are pretty new, mm -hmm. but we also work really hard, and the team that um, that I work with most closely here at the library works really hard on creating experiences, lifelong learning experiences, cultural experiences, uh, civic engagement experiences across our 80 libraries that everybody in the city can be a part of. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your role with the library? So um, my title is First Deputy Commissioner, which is kind of a mouthful, and it's not that descriptive. So mm -hmm. the most important part of that is the Deputy Commissioner part, which means that I get to be really a partner with the commissioner of the public library system, the head of the system, mm -hmm. in thinking about the overall strategy, uh, where we're headed, what we're doing. Um, and uh, I've specifically worked to lead our innovation process 
So the process through which we ask people for new ideas about mm -hmm. how we can improve our services. Mm -hmm. We support teams of library staff to explore those ideas through a design process. Mm -hmm. And um, we then resource those ideas to spread when they seem like things that are good for the system and good for the city. Mm -hmm. um, the other piece of my work has been around program design and development and evaluation. Mm -hmm. So we, like every other social sector organization, have started to get better at, and better at collecting data and trying to use that information to make decisions, yeah. both about what we're doing well, who we're reaching, who we're not reaching, what we need to do more of, those kinds of things. Um, and that's been uh, work that I've been leading for the, for the library. Our um, audience is really everyone, right? Mm -hmm. So we serve you know 2.7 million Chicagoans of all ages, of all backgrounds, yeah. of all sorts of people with all different kinds of interests. So um, the team really tries to hone in on, you know, what kinds of core services can we provide to families with babies, for example? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what's the best value that we can bring to those families? And for us, the answer there has been making sure that all parents with little ones know that they are fully equipped to do all the things that their babies need to develop and for those brains to develop. And the most important thing they can do is talk to their babies yeah. and read to their babies. And yeah. even if they don't know how to read themselves, pick up a book with pictures in it and describe the pictures to their yeah. babies. Describe the world to their babies. So those are the kinds of things we focus on for families. Then we have all kinds of services tailored to different age groups who come to the library to learn after school. We provide free homework help in every library mm. across the city. Um, we provide uh, computer help and computer tutors in every library across the city for mm -hmm. adults who really need to get online and haven't yet had the opportunity to do so. Yeah, that's great. What was your uh, path to the library? What compelled you about this type of space? Oh, I love talking about this because yeah. I feel like um, I feel like many young people are like I was when I was a kid in that I just didn't know much about what kinds of careers might be fulfilling. Yeah. I just saw people in my family get up and go to work every day, and they didn't seem all that happy about what they were doing, but they did it because they were responsible parents, yeah. and they just did it, right? Yeah. And so my route to this role, which is really a fun and fulfilling role, has been pretty circuitous, right? Mm. So I got out of college not really knowing that you could get paid to do things that were fulfilling. I had <laughs> volunteered with community-based organizations and done sort of door-to-door -door organizing and all kinds of things in college but didn't know people could get paid to do this work. Yeah. <laughs> so it took me a while after doing some temp jobs and like office work that yeah. wasn't very fun to find my way into a nonprofit organization, initially in Philadelphia, okay. um, where I moved a little bit after college. And at that organization, I was organizing all kinds of um, events and activities. Uh, and I met this woman who instantly became like my role model, right? Mm -hmm. And she was in her mid-30s at the time. I was in my mid-20s. And she led a community-based organization in Philadelphia called Congreso de Latinos Unidos. Oh, yeah. And uh, her name is Alba Martinez. She's still a good friend. Mm -hmm. And she was this, like, dynamic lady who was so committed to what she was doing, clearly yeah. so motivated by her work. Yeah. And um, she recruited me to go work with her. Mm -hmm. And again, I had no idea what kinds of jobs might be available at a community-based organization. So I just sort of rolled up my sleeves and jumped into whatever needed to get done. And I eventually found my way to the workforce development program that had just launched. This was the late 90s at the beginning of Welfare to Work, at the beginning of all of these new 
Workforce Investment Act policies in the way that mm -hmm. um, governments were investing in mm -hmm. workforce services, and I loved it. Um, I got to know uh, Instituto del Progreso Latino here in Chicago yeah. through the National Council of La Raza network okay. of workforce development organizations. Learned a lot from watching Instituto from afar. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have to say now I am very proud of the fact that I was just elected uh, chair of the Instituto board here in Chicago. Awesome. Yeah, so that connection great. that started way back in, you know, in Philadelphia yeah. in the early 2000s um, is still strong. Very cool. Uh, and I just found that doing work that allowed people to connect with career education services that led to their being able to improve their own lives and their families' lives was, like, for me, the highest, most fulfilling thing I could do. Yeah, very cool. Um, so I moved around to lots of different roles, some of them in K-12 education directly mm -hmm. that allowed me to do that kind of work. Mm -hmm. And then the library was really an unexpected opportunity for me. I didn't mm. really think of libraries as places through which you could provide education, workforce services, and lo and behold, here we are, and that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Very good, very good. Um, so we live in a time when Chicago kind of sits at the top of every bad list and the bottom of every good list. But there's like this glimmer of hope via the library, <laughs> right, in being one of the top-rated institutions in the world. Uh, how does the library interface and engage with the challenges that Chicago was experiencing, whether it's education or violence or whatever else in between? The beautiful thing and challenging thing about the Chicago Public Library is that we are Chicago, mm -hmm. right? We are the public. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely everything good about the Chicago library system is because of the people who live here. Yeah. Not just the people who work in the libraries, but the communities with which they engage who care about their libraries, who respect their libraries, mm -hmm. who respect one another when they're in our libraries. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, walk into any Chicago Public Library and you get this glimmer about what's beautiful about the city, mm -hmm. um, which are its people. Mm -hmm. uh, I am from the West Coast. I lived for a long time on the East Coast. There is something true about the fact that Chicago people are special yeah. and they're loving with each other and they're collaborative and they're helpful to each other in ways that you don't necessarily see in big cities across the U.S. Sure. Um, we are very aware and very conscious of the challenges that people who live in our communities face and try to find ways through the libraries to address those challenges, mm -hmm. not always as directly as like a social worker might be able to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for example, we think that by providing equal access to really high quality learning experiences for kids in the summer, mm -hmm. we're helping those kids and those families um, deal with, you know, some of the really tough issues that might be happening in their neighborhood in a really positive way. So we've partnered for the last four years with the Museum of Science and Industry and with their education team, our librarians, our children's librarians, I'm so proud of them because they've really grown and learn and sort of learned how to do these things that they probably didn't get trained to do when they were in library school. But mm -hmm. we've designed this um, really engaging, hands-on STEAM, you know, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math program mm -hmm. yeah, right, that's right. offered in every neighborhood in the city of Chicago to kids for free. Last year, we had over 100,000 kids participate. That's uh, a slight increase from the year before, where we had just under 100,000 kids wow. participate. And, you know, we think that by giving every family this opportunity to participate in these enriching activities, mm -hmm. these activities that we know 
help kids be more confident learners when they get back to school, mm-hmm. uh, help kids become curious about the world and want to learn and want to read and all of that stuff. Like we really feel like our libraries are contributing to sort of tilting the scales towards the more positive. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, how has the library had to adapt to more Latino families in Chicago? Oh, that's a really great question. So, I mean, beyond the obvious, which is we're offering everything in many languages, Mm -hmm. um, especially Spanish, I think in every Mm -hmm. community, We've um, made some changes, for example, to um, our librarians' understanding of what's acceptable uh, identification Mm -hmm. so that we are not excluding anybody. Uh, We know that some undocumented families are not going to have your standard form of ID, so we accept all kinds of things (laughs) as ID. We just want to know that you live in the city of Chicago to be eligible for a library card. Um, And then we've really tried to make sure that all of our programs, and I'll give you one example, is reaching out to the community. So mm-hmm. um, the U Media program started in 2009 here at the Harold Washington Library um, as kind of a pilot site for this new way of engaging teens in, in learning. Mm-hmm. And we now offer this U Media program in 12 libraries across the city. Um, when I started here about three years ago, the participation in the program was was very heavily uh, African-American mm-hmm. young people, mm-hmm. which was great, right? Yeah. We really wanted to reach kids um, in communities yeah. and give them opportunities to learn all kinds of skills and express themselves artistically. Chance got started in our U Media program. <laughs> Chance the Rapper is now really famous and yeah. all of his friends and colleagues and all of this stuff. Um, but we looked at the demographics and we saw, you know, a really small number of Latino students participating. Mm. So we, um, A, when we had the opportunity to expand the program, we made sure that some of the expansion libraries were in uh, Latino neighborhoods. But B, we made sure that we had our outreach team go out and build relationships with Latino-serving youth organizations, with high schools that have primarily Latino students in them, Mm -hmm. get to know those students, get to know those families, and make sure that they understood that they were absolutely welcome Mm -hmm. to participate in this program. And I think we have to ask ourselves that question with every new thing that we roll out. You know, how welcoming is this service? How clearly are we communicating that we really are here for everybody? Mm -hmm. And how can we rethink what we offer or how we package the program so that it truly feels welcoming and culturally sort of appropriate for people. Yeah, awesome. Uh, what would you say uh, Chicago or the library could improve on? Wow. Well, one of the things that we um, are doing across the system is we're constantly figuring out what we can do better, mm-hmm. right? So there's no more, we've figured it out, we've built all these good services, yeah. we're going to rest on our laurels and kind yeah. of see what's happening. So we're constantly trying to figure out how, A, with changes in technology and changes in the world, we as libraries can continue to be relevant and serve people's actual needs, not the needs we imagine they might have, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But B, I think, (sighs) make sure that the services that we provide are really helping people with goals that they might set for themselves. Mm -hmm. And that is hard to do in a giant, massive system where you're serving millions of people a year, right? Um, So what we're trying to get better at is equipping all of our staff, especially those that are on the front line, you know, serving the public, 
to be more empathetic mm -hmm. and more sensitive to mm -hmm. what's going on and what might be going on in the lives of our communities. Um, we're trying to get better at not only being places where, you know, we're kind of neutral and civic dialogue is welcomed, but we're trying to get better at figuring out how we facilitate that dialogue, even yeah. when it's really hard. Um, and we have a lot to learn yeah. in that area, right? Mm -hmm, for sure. In a lot of ways, we all do. Yeah. Uh, you, you can kind of think about the library as a living system, yeah. right? Yeah, um, and it belongs to all of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what would you say the library is like really good at? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I think, you know, when I got to the library, it's been almost four years now, I was really impressed at how um, kind of efficiently everything ran. So mm. it felt like everything that we were doing to rethink some of the services or try out new things was being built on a really solid foundation, mm -hmm. right, of operational excellence. Mm -hmm. And... Although we have a lot to improve on, it's, I think it's a really good um, system at seeing those things and trying to make them better all the time. Gotcha. Um, the library's also, I think, shown itself to be very good at um, really welcoming all people from all backgrounds. So mm -hmm. we've recently done some analysis of our active card holders. We did about, a, we looked at about a million people's anonymously, mm -hmm. you know, a million people's profiles. Mm -hmm. um, who are they? You know, what's going on with them? Yeah. And we found that that million person sample really was like a very representative sample of the people who live in Chicago. Wow. You know, every kind of person from yeah. like really highly educated people to people who dropped out in eighth grade to people right. who, you know, are really high income to people who are struggling to people who are middle class to people who have families to people who don't have families, single yeah. people. So it's like this amazing place that is kind of, you don't really see that place anywhere else in society yeah, <laughs> that yeah. everybody can agree on. Yeah. Right. And, and everybody finds some value yeah. uh, in, and we want to keep that up. Yeah. And, and as I said in my earlier remark, be more intentional about how we leverage that mm -hmm. to really bring people together to, connect mm -hmm. so let's transition to leadership a little bit yeah probably um uh, a great time because you were just appointed to board chair uh what is your perspective on leadership like what, what is your style or your approach to leading wow that's um so one i've learned over the years that it takes a lot of intentionality mm. um that you really need to know when you're in a leadership role, either one through title or one because you raise your hand and mm -hmm. you try to get something done, yeah. <laughs> that everything you do, everything you say, how you say it, how you do it, is signaling something huh. to other folks. And so being intentional and really aware yeah. of how your actions might speak for you, even if you're not saying anything, mm -hmm. um, I think is really important. And so I think about that a lot. Mm -hmm. And although I value authentic leadership. I, I, I value sincerity and authenticity. So mm -hmm. when I say you have to really think about how your actions are communicating things, I don't mean to say that your actions should be artificial in any way, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it's this balancing act between being your real self, yep. which I think is so powerful, yeah. right? I respond so much to people in leadership roles who are being fully human, mm -hmm. Um, and fully open about the things that they know and the things that they don't know and mm -hmm. the things they need help with. Mm -hmm. All of that 
um, is important, but then also being careful. So it's yeah. this very funny balancing act with being really, really authentic and then being really, really intentional yeah. about how your behavior might communicate or miscommunicate yeah. with other people. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I haven't quite heard that, <laughs> but that's probably one of the statements I've identified most with. Oh, that's so, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah that's, I'm going to have to talk about this. One yeah. It's with, a little bit of a, Teresa, yeah. it's a little bit of a, a conflict in my head, but yeah. I, but, it, but it, I feel like I can do it. Right. Yeah. I can be me. I can be real. Mm-hmm. I can be open and vulnerable mm-hmm. and I can be really intentional about what I say, yeah. how I say it, when I say it. Yeah. Yeah. Very smart. Um, are there things you wish you knew about leading or this work before you jumped in? Hmm. I wish I knew that when I'm not sure what to do next, that that's okay Mm -hmm. and normal Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, sooner. I know that now. You know, I know now that what really excites me in my work life is discovering new ways of approaching old problems Mm -hmm. and then charting a new path often, not, not having a blueprint to follow. That's really what I've always been drawn to. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, can map back to every role I've ever had. There's been some element of that there and, and I'm, I'm really motivated by it, um, by not knowing the answer and trying to figure it out. But I think earlier in my career, I felt like I should know. Um, And so it's been a really interesting realization. I think most recent, you know, a most recent set of realizations for me that Mm -hmm. it's okay to not know how to tackle these complex challenges that we all face when we're working in communities and with people. (laughs) And um, it's okay to let people know that you don't know and to ask for the appropriate help. For sure. Uh, Any tips or thoughts for folks that are anxious to step into leadership roles yeah. and thinking about leadership roles? You're never going to be 100% prepared, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And you're never going to be 100% alone mm-hmm. unless you close yourself off. So don't yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. And um, just be willing to not know the answer, mm-hmm. but always think about having in your back pocket mm-hmm. you know, the two, three people you might be able to reach out to mm-hmm to help you think through the answer. Yeah. Um, so those, you know, two things about you, if you're waiting for that perfect moment when you're totally ready and you have all the skills and that, that doesn't happen, you know, you, you kind of learn it as you go and that's okay. But don't isolate yourself from people who can help you um, because people are much more willing to give their time and energy to help you um, than you might think. Mm -hmm. What literature has inspired you or inspires your work today? Ooh, that's a tough one. I don't, you know, this is going to sound funny. I mostly like to read nonfiction okay. to kind of get myself out of my own head mm-hmm. and out of my own world. Yeah. Um, I am a skimmer of, uh, no, I mostly like to read fiction. I'm so sorry. Okay. I, I misspoke. So I mostly like to read fiction okay. to get myself out of my head. I'm really a skimmer of all the nonfiction stuff that you're supposed to be reading. Gotcha. So all the leadership books, all yeah. that stuff. I love that stuff, uh-huh. but I usually go through it really quickly, find what I need and move on. So okay. one book I can think of that's in that vein that I've just gone back to over and over again is called, oh, it might be called Leading Change or Leading Transitions. I'm going to have to look for the, the title. Okay. 
But it is a really short piece about what making big organizational changes does to people emotionally Mm -hmm. and how to make sure that you're taking that into account Mm -hmm. as you try to get things to happen inside an organization. The author is William Bridges, and I think the book's called Leading Transitions, but it's a really nicely written, very simple, easy-to-digest book about how when you're introducing a change in an organization or trying to move people towards doing things differently, we all have feelings about that stuff, Mm -hmm. and it's normal, and you should address those feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a really good one. But I really like to read... Uh, fiction. Mm-hmm. So I'm waiting for the next Ms. Marvel comic to okay. come out. <laughs> Love that. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm trying to uh, keep reading in Spanish uh, okay. whenever I can. So I'm in the middle of a novel called Rayuela by Julio Cortázar. Okay. Um, that is really hard to read because his sentences are like a whole page long. Oh, really? <laughs> but it's really a fun, well-written book. Yeah, great. You know, I just had a whole conversation last night about comic books with, like, the most oh. random set of people at an event. It was kind of funny. It, like, united our whole table. That like, is so cool. I'm reading Miles Morales and Black Panther, and this other guy's, like, got a subscription to Marvel Unlimited. And wow. This other, and so it was kind that of funny. So yeah, great. yeah, yeah. So um, that comic books are cool, again, is, is something that I identify with. Uh, um, what excites you about the library? Like, what's happening? What's the vision? What's what's coming down the pipeline that I guess gets you motivated? A little bit back to what I said. I like being in a space where I don't know mm-hmm. exactly where we're headed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can kind of see generally directionally where we're headed as an organization mm-hmm. and where libraries are headed as a field. Yeah, but it's not clear. Mm-hmm. There's no clear path. Mm-hmm. So that excites me. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of on the ground, the things that I'm working on that really excite me are we are in the process now of developing a partnership with Chicago Housing Authority. Okay. Um, we together have identified three sites where there's going to be housing authority housing mm-hmm. and a library built together. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to really integrate the library as one of the benefits of living in a CHA property or near a CHA property, mm-hmm. and to really think about how those libraries can be assets um, for not just the CHA residents, but the other residents in the community mm-hmm. and really bring those groups of people together. Mm-hmm. And we've started to have kind of the big blue sky conversations with some help from you know, designers and architects about what that might look like. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been able to go out of the U.S. and around the U.S. to see some both libraries, but also museums and interactive spaces and schools mm-hmm. that have really served as inspiration for how we might reconceptualize how those libraries function. Yeah. And so all of that's really exciting. I can't tell you exactly what they're going to look like, but yeah. that's part of what's fun about it. And how can help folks help the library oh, be wow. better? That's such a great question. Um, I mean, I think just use the library. Mm -hmm. Go check it out. You may not remember that it's there Mm because some people just live their lives, but we really think that what makes the library important are the the communities and the people who use them. And, you know, participate in a program. Show Mm -hmm. up at an author talk. If you have kids, take them to the story time because they'll have the opportunity to engage in learning alongside so many other kids that they might not otherwise have any contact with. So just come be part of it. Great. Well, thanks so much for the time today. 
Thank you. It was a fun conversation. Yeah, I had fun. Thanks, Eric. That was Andrea Science, First Deputy Commissioner for the Chicago Public Library. As always, I appreciate you tuning in. And if you're finding value from our conversations, I hope you'll leave a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Thanks again for listening, and until the next one, peace.